I was going to buy this other Holden car and then halfway through the seller was like, yeah, my son died in this car. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. So we did have to get it fixed. So like you check the logbook, it's all really great history. And I was like, look, I still would have bought it if it wasn't for the fact the seller went on this big tangent about how he will only sell to Holden people who love Holden. <laughs> And I was like, uh, <laughs> I can't even, I can't lie my way out of this. I can't pretend I know shit about Holden when most of my family have driven a Ford or a Daewoo. So. Welcome back, fans and friends, to the Complete Guide to Horror podcast. Today, we're talking about the incomparable, the legendary, the fucking confusing paradox that is Donnie Darko. I haven't seen stuff. Donnie is experiencing what is commonly called a daylight hallucination. <laughs> Have you ever seen a portal? Has he ever told you about his friend Frank, the giant bunny rabbit? The what? Every living thing follows along set path, and if you could see your path or channel, then you could see into the future, right? You got away with it. What is going to happen? We have a few days left before they catch me. We're just gonna stop. You should already know that. The 2001 film starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Drew Barrymore, and some other people I forgot. Set in October 1988, the film follows, you guessed it, Donnie Darko, an emotionally troubled teenager with a stupid ass name who inadvertently escapes a bizarre accident, which is the plane crashing into his room by sleepwalking. He has visions of Frank, a mysterious figure in a rabbit costume, who informs him that the world will end in just over 28 days or four weeks. Because you know how there's like those parents that are like, oh, he's like 60 months old and it's like uh, five, your child's five. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) Frank begins to manipulate Donnie to commit several crimes. Deemed a modern cult classic, this film was scarcely advertised, mostly in part due to the fact that 9-11 happened six weeks before its release. And as we know in the movie, there's a few parts where the plane crashes into his room. So, you know, not exactly the best for American audiences or global audiences, I should say. Critics remain divided on their reviews, but fans have continued to show their love for this really strange movie. Okay, I am obsessed. I can't believe I just said that out loud. I remember watching this when I was 17 and I I didn't really get it at first. I thought it was cool, but I was like, how the fuck does the time thing work why is drew barrymore going on about cellar door for 10 minutes i didn't really get the whole roberta sparrows you know it didn't make sense to me at the time but i to be fair i was probably stoned when i watched it at 17 so i mean you make your judgment but you ever smoked weed before (laughs) 
God. Like I will say, it did kickstart my foray into similar weirdish movies, you know, like anything by David Lynch, Mulholland Drive, Lost Highway, The Box, starring Cameron Diaz, and also directed by the same person as Johnny Darko, which follows similar weirdish things around like mortality, time manipulation, all that kind of stuff. So felt like I joined that kind of bandwagon around that time. But uh, re-watching it, I was quite surprised how much I felt I got it more as opposed to when I watched it the first couple of times. Now, I know it's also not classified as a pure horror movie, but there are some sequences, especially involving Frank the Rabbit, that I feel are quite horror-tinged. Plus, I've always just wanted to rant and rave about this movie, so, you know, fuck it, why not? Uh, Coop, we'll start with you. What did you think about this movie? Um, well, I I think, like you, I saw this movie sort of much later on than when it was uh, released. I think it was about five years ago. Um, and it was just, this was in a dark period of my life where I didn't have internet and I had to rely on the channels I could get to for entertainment. Um, and this was on and I was like, oh yeah, what's this? Oh yeah, I've heard about this movie, but I've never seen it. Um, and yeah, enjoyed it and yeah, watched it uh, a couple of days ago. And um, I didn't enjoy it as much. I think um, the second time round, I'm wondering if maybe the first time I saw it, it was like the director's cut or something, but it felt very mm. rushed when I watched it. Um, but I haven't looked up how much longer the director's cut is. I couldn't really think of anything extra that I saw last time. Um, but the whole thing kind of felt a bit rushed. Um, the the performances were, for the most part were really good. It was kind of uh, Drew Barrymore's character was kind of odd in this. Um, I'm a massive Drew Barrymore fan. <laughs> Whenever you can go out into the rain, do not miss the opportunity. <laughs> but I don't know. She was just kind of like there. Um, and it didn't seem to flow with a lot of the other characters. It was a bit of a strange character. There were a couple of strange characters, particularly in that opening scene where you see it's just like cameo after cameo. You see Patrick Swayze, you see Drew Barrymore. John and I can't remember the rest of them, but there's so many famous people in this movie. None of them really shine as, as much as um, sort of the main characters like uh, Jake Gyllenhaal um, and pretty much that family kind of pops. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like you, Byron. I don't really know what to say about uh, this movie. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm, I'm not a, a massive fan of it. There was some kind of like some weird themes throughout, but um, maybe because I've seen a lot of weird experimental movies before I seen this it was just kind of like oh okay like a sort of palatable hollywood version of that and it's sort of like a somewhat entertaining storyline with the idea of the time travel and you've got um roberta sparrow going back and forwards in like a time loop with the fucking um with the mailbox here's the well it never fails it makes me want to wag my bail when it comes i want to nail the, the teenage characters are kind of ridiculous 
I'm, I'm, and I'd like to point out as well the idea of Seth Rogen being a bully is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, he's great. He's a wonderful lab partner, so it's going to be cool. I'll keep an eye on her. Why don't you go fuck yourself, you weird little prick? I'm a teacher, okay? You can't talk to me like that, guy. I'm not a student, so I can say whatever the fuck I want. You chimp fucking Actually, little bastard. Know, oh, really? I didn't catch that it was Seth Rogen until I rewatched this a couple of days ago, and I was like, I know him from somewhere. He's like that comedy guy, but I always confuse Seth Rogen with like Jonah Hill and like three other <laughs> people at the same time. But um, yeah, it, I could never actually figure out what this film was trying to say, like what its mm. statement was. Because it's like, is it saying life is meaningless, life is always on a path, but we can change it, but we can't because we're in a loop. Rabbits are fucking scary. Uh, don't mm. trust mirrors. But um. Yeah, yeah, I could all, never all of the work above. It out. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and this is a uh, quite uh, what's the word? I was going to say problematic, but it's not that word. Uh, it's a recurring thing with Richard Kelly's other work. So, you know, bringing up the box, which was released nine years, no, eight years afterwards. It's also very confusing in that he goes into a million different pathways and it's, again, all about destiny and time and choice and everything, but I could never figure out what the hell the message was supposed to be, nor mm. did the ending actually mean anything at the same time. So I think in this case with Donnie Darko, it's, uh, I don't think the writer knew what the fuck he wanted. He was, he was like, let's make yeah. all these different branches, let's this plot line this plot line let's talk about the hypocrisy with religion let's talk about time travel and then he's like fuck i don't know how to wrap this all up so mm. and then he woke up and a plane crashed into him the end <laughs> yeah yeah and the interesting interest there the interesting um the interesting part was that um because with the the time travel timeline because um frank was i guess the the dead guy the guy that he shoots um and so he knows all the shit so he's telling him about um you know the fact, fact that patrick swayze's character is uh, a pedophile and that in 28 days or whatever that's when he's gonna shoot him in the head or that's when that time loop thing um is gonna open up and then he decides that he's going to let the thing fall on him and crash and die um anyway but then isn't like yeah sure frank's gonna live that's nice um but isn't this fucking pedophile still just gonna be on the loose mm. all this all this other shit that he changed isn't gonna mm. happen but i don't know we're gonna have to let this guy go Child molester. A licensed child molester. People like you make me sick. So again, like you said, Justin, what's the message there? Yeah. Um that either either way shit's gonna happen. I don't know. And he also he didn't have to shoot that guy in the head. Yeah, <laughs> he, I never got he that. Could've, he could have like literally he saw that coming and like he he did see Frank take the mask off and have the the um hole in his eye so why didn't he just make a different choice if he was able to make the choice to just stay in bed and get hit by the uh, piece of the plane why didn't he just not shoot frank i don't know yeah it's very very confusing and i think only the hardcore 
Donnie Darko fans know this, but there is a sequel called S Darko that follows mm. Donnie Darko's younger sister, played by Davy Chase, who, funnily enough, also played Samara in the Ring films. That sequel, honestly, there's a reason why some things are direct to DVD, but this thing should have been like direct to car wash or direct to the dumpster. Fucking <laughs> that bad, still. Huh? yeah just tries to and it wasn't written by or directed by the same donnie darko team as well so it felt like more mm. of a fan film like mm -hmm. some stupid shit you'd see on reddit that's like we me and my friend spent 20 dollars and we made a film and it's like you know puppets and shit but nah it's just so bad but it's interesting richard kelly last year did this interview where he said he has this big grandiose ambitious plan to do a sequel to Donnie Darko somehow bring back Jake Gyllenhaal but what's it going to be about there's been no other further updates I think this is a movie that I know I'm going to rewatch every couple of years like I forced my younger brother and sister to watch it they fucking hated it <laughs> I'm not surprised I hate you because they're just like what the hell are you showing me i thought we were yeah. watching like a funny movie or a straight up horror but this being a drama slash just all over the place mess it's something that i think has a cult following but not for the right reasons i think it's more of a movie you show your friends to be like can you help me try and figure this out because yeah. i've like, no idea <laughs> Like yeah. decrypting something here, but I don't know what we're decrypting. And also, <laughs> the there's one uh, sequence where Donnie's looking in the mirror and it's all about trying to say, does he have hallucinations? Is he, like, chemically imbalanced in the brain? Or is Frank real? And it's, like, very fast shots of uh, Frank in the mirror as well that, you know, could be classified as a jump scare in some, uh, some ways, but... <laughs> do that <laughs> the thing that i always take away from this movie is the part where towards the end of the movie he has the weird holographic tunnel disappear out of his chest and it's all about saying people are on the same timelines and he has to follow the timeline and everything but breaks the timeline by choosing to get killed by the plane so yeah i i might leave my thoughts at that one uh BP, as someone who just recently watched the movie, what do you think if you're well, not I, overloaded? <laughs> yeah, well, it's a confusing movie to start with. So I, I ended up downloading the director's cut. Um, so it comes in at 113 minutes, which I had this sort of thing with horror movies, but once it hits two hours, kind of, it's either going to be really good or it starts to get really hiring quickly and I found this movie the pacing is a bit all over the place at the start I mm. warmed to it probably in the first 10-15 minutes and it actually reminded me of in a way of like American Beauty which came out you know like 10 years later and I thought it was kind of going maybe that thing uh, but yeah after that I kind of got a little bit confused what was going on really it's all just a bit of a mind fuck to be honest mm. um, I think 
there, as Coop said, there's so many characters at the start that get introduced, like Patrick Swayze, Drew Barrymore, but Jake Gyllenhaal in there. You've even got Seth Rogen. And I feel like someone in like Patrick Swayze wasn't utilised good enough mm. for the movie. Like he's in there, but I just don't think people aren't going to, well, I don't think this would be a role that people would remember him for. It's sort of one that sort of comes into the back, like the sort of the filler. Um, yeah, I don't really know what to think of this movie or kind of left questioning what was really happening the whole time. Like I sort of tried to understand full point and then they started introducing these chapter one, chapter two things. And I think that's where things started to get a little bit like, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I kind of got a little bit lost in, I guess, everything that was going on. Um, it's a different type of movie. It's not one that I generally would go for. Um, and as I guess Justin you said, Coop said, it's, I guess there's a cult following there somewhere, but it, for me, the replay value is very low. But like, I wouldn't watch this one again. Um, yeah, it's just a, a different type of movie. Uh, I'm sort of glad mm-hmm. there's movies out there that are like that, but it's not really something I would watch again. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's a interesting point about the running time of the movie and the chapters as well. I find only two other films I've watched have used that chapter sequence to its advantage. So Promising Young Woman is a movie that does that thing, but instead of it saying like chapter one or chapter three, it has just like one, then it has uh, two, then three. I think it goes all the way up to five, but um, it's like brilliantly play, uh, placed, paced. So it's it's one of those movies where if you haven't seen it, go watch it. But um, last night I watched Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Yeah. Um, I had seen the trailer for the movie and it was something that interested me, but I was going to wait till it came out on Netflix or Stan or whatever. Lucky for me, one of my friends had bought it. So we watched it last night. It has a running time of about two hours and 25 minutes i think and it's split into three main chapters as well but um i love that movie i was fully invested i won't spoil anything but it's something that i was waiting on the edge of my seat for the next scene to happen whereas donnie darko i'm even trying to think now in like preparation ahead of the next question but I can't really remember full sequences and I've seen this movie plenty of times, but the only things I can really think of are Drew Barrymore talking about Salador because she's an English teacher, Roberta Sparrows with the mailbox, the <laughs> weird tunnel rainbow bullshit that happens at the end and then the plane crash, but yeah. everything else I think I remember little segments, but I can't remember full quotes. Um, yeah. Cause like I was gonna like even just trying to think about you know what's my favorite part of the movie for me it is when Donnie Darko stands up to the religious hypocrisy during the school presentation but I can't remember word for word what he says it was just something around telling him to get fucked or something you're right actually I am pretty, I'm, I'm pretty troubled and I'm, I'm pretty confused but I and I'm afraid really really afraid really afraid but I I I think you're fucking 
that's when Frank tells him about the uh, child porn and everything in that person's basement. So then all that shit happens. But um, I like the follow-on effects because it feels like this is how people would react to being told that, like, their local minister or their local priest was found with, you know, child porn or they were found to be a rapist or a uh, molester, etc. You would have those people in church that would be in denial. And I should say, too, this goes for non-church people, too. Like, you have people that would be like, oh, no, he would never do that. This is a, uh, what's it called, like a smear campaign or a slam piece or whatever. And I like that they wrote that character of the uptight conservative woman to still be defending this, uh, like, pedophile. Because that's what would happen in real life. You would 100% see those kinds of people. As you can see, the lifeline is divided into two polar extremes, fear and love. Fear is in the negative energy spectrum, and love is in the positive energy spectrum. Oh, duh. Excuse me? No, duh is a product of fear. I don't know if either of you noticed this, the, um, the uptight Christian lady, uh, Kitty Farmer, um, was the character's name. Um, did either of you two recognize her from maybe another movie that we've done in this, uh, while we've been doing this podcast? Ah, uh, I, um, the, do you mean like the principal lady? Oh, uh, she wasn't the, I think she was just a, she was a teacher and a, I'm a t- both a teacher and a parent, that one. Um, she, she she did look from I noticed she's familiar, but I couldn't think of it. She, she was the teacher that got ruled in uh, Child's Play ah! Two. Well. I can I was gonna say that, but I felt like that dumbass kid that yells out the wrong answer in class. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I enjoyed um, everything bad happening to her. Like that, that, that actress yeah. is so good. Like she plays uh, like a villain, like a hateable person, particularly, I guess, a, a horrible teacher, um, really, really well. Um, as yeah, as far as mad, that rendition of Mad World's pretty cool. I guess that's. <laughs> Yeah, wait till you see as I say wait till you see the cover of Mad World in Riverdale season (laughs) 2 yeah (laughs) we get it (laughs) I sign us up for a duet that Donnie Darko song you love or hopefully strongly like at least or can you not do that either all around me are familiar Just a note on the director's cut as well. So on the DVD, there's a special feature thing where it's something around uh, Richard Kelly's clues to help you figure out Donnie Darko. And there's some extra scenes added between the original and the director's cut version where, like, 
I don't understand what the director means by this quote because he says, yeah, I felt like I had to spoon feed some of the things in the director's cut to make people understand. I watched the director's cut. I still don't fucking know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what he means by spoon feeding because unless he's there on screen telling me what the hell this scene means or what the hell the ending means, mm. I don't know how else to figure out this movie, but uh, yeah. the the clues in the special features uh, was like around what does the rabbit suit represent? What does Donnie see when he has the hallucinations? What is What are the numbers on Roberta Sparrow's mailbox or whatever? But like, I didn't pick up what the hell that was supposed to mean and all that. Um, yeah. But I also wonder why the fuck haven't Netflix and Stan put special features onto you know, their streaming services as well. And we spoke about that in the Seed of Chucky podcast, but again, I'm just like, what's taking so fucking long? But anyway, sorry, BP, did you have any favourite parts? (laughs) Uh, uh, There's a couple things I noted. The one thing I noted was uh, Mm. the camera, I guess the camera direction in some some senses, actually all right. There's that use of... um, How do you explain it? It's like where people are standing in the scene, everything around them is going really fast. The saw effect. (laughs) Yeah, and there was that kind of that shot in the opening, which was like that, which I kind of didn't mind down the hallway. And it was sort of like panning to like someone at the locker and then moving across to someone else. That's kind of a cool move. And when you mentioned about the colours, Justin, I did think that because the scene that uh, stuck out was, I think, with the the lady from Child's Way 2, talking to Patrick Swayze and there's someone else in the courtyard and it looks very bright in the scene but the colours didn't really represent that and I was sort of mm. thinking like if I was there in real time would it be the same I'm like no they must have sort of saturated the colour sort of a bit negative um, tone in that um, and the only other I guess the scene that sort of stuck out stood out sorry, um, that you mentioned Justin was when the guy when Jake Gyllenhaal was having a jab at Patrick Swayze about his um Claim. but it is true i mean you know there was that there was a mention about the girl being overweight and then she's like maybe she should hit the gym uh, rather than like giving her false hope and sort of you know sugarcoating it mm. um but yeah as i said everything else like i i don't mind these type of movies but i think the audience it's quite a niche audience that's going to enjoy it um and i think the i just think the running time sort of kills it for well, it killed it for me, I guess. If it was maybe like 90 minutes, you'd probably be able to just get people, um, I guess, like they hit that exhaustion side of it, be like, okay, it's over. But when it's like another 45 minutes on top and then the chapters and the countdown, it's not very, uh, uh, I guess, like on pace. So it's sort of like when, yeah, very slow in some parts, but each to their own. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely could have cut down this movie by at least 20 minutes i didn't really care for some of the other sequences where it's like uh, what was it the mum and the daughter on the same plane that crashes into donnie darko at the end somehow and yeah. they're off to the dance recital or whatever and it's like yeah i didn't really care for that portion maybe that was only introduced to A, find a way to put the family on the plane that the engine falls from. It was also a way to put in uh, the teacher slash uh, Christian woman onto the same, uh, not onto the plane, sorry, because she was looking for a chaperone to replace her while she defended the pedophile. But I don't know, it just felt 
it could have been a lot shorter. That was also a complaint from my younger siblings when we watched this a uh, couple of years ago, where they were like, oh, finally. <laughs> and I was like, it just, yeah. yeah. It just feels <laughs> like, like a, a Neighbours or a Home and Away storyline that's very weak and just kind of came out of nowhere. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's just kind of been put in there to fill some time. And then it just, mm. yeah. I get what you mean. Yeah. Like, uh, my least favourite part of this movie is actually the fact that it has some pretty terrible writing. So not only when it comes to the overall plot of the story, because I do think it's a very interesting premise, don't get me wrong, but it was not concise at all. And my, one of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to anything, movies, TV shows, horror, non-horror, is when they're like, it's up to the audience to decide. I'm like, no, tell me what the fuck you wanted so that I can get a resolution <laughs> even if it's like a really dark ending like you know the mist or if it's a happy ending like it chapter two where they bleed pennywise to death or whatever <laughs> just have a clear fucking ending so that i can yeah. figure out how i'm supposed to feel about this not you know try and be like oh he died but everyone remembers him somehow but not really but also the and this is not the actor's fault, it's not Jake Gyllenhaal's yeah. fault, it's not his girlfriend or whatever, but some of the dialogue and also the, not necessarily costume design, but it felt like 40-year-old people trying to write how they think teenagers talk. Yeah, yeah. a thousand percent. Like, I don't know, I, I find this issue with a lot of movies, particularly Netflix series now, where like, early 2000s it was very much trying to capture on like sms lingo or trying to be like all angsty and mm. you, you could know, suck a fuck yeah yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> that whereas fuck, what was that movie where um rebel wilson plays the oh, cheerleader yeah senior year senior every year? No, no, senior. senior year that's it it's a yeah it felt half 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 funny but half cringy and um like, and it's also i think rebel wilson trying to be funny and i think uh, it sounds bad but i think her not being maybe her body like it was doesn't really come off in this movie maybe i don't know that that also might have a bit of something to do with it it's like she lost her mojo but the yeah. the writing for that movie and this is in you know uh the kissing booth the that remake of uh she's all that but it's he's all that Every time they try to write a social media influencer or one of those type of roles, it's always, OMG, hashtag love yeah. your outfit. Oh my God, follow me. Don't look at me. Oh my God, I'm famous. And I'm like, yeah. I, I work yeah. with actual, like, I've been working for like seven, eight years now with actual social media influencers who have like millions of followers or hundreds of thousands of followers and yeah. 90% of them are bought for, but they don't talk like that. And yeah. I'm like, I know they're trying to, the whole thing with like high school stories and like anything named of the teen audience is generalized and you're going to exaggerate some features. So the outcast is always going to be like this angry, angsty person and popular person is always going to be this Regina George bitchy one. But it's just lazy writing to me and I fucking hate it. So I turned off. Yeah. Uh, senior year actually i turned off senior year when they mentioned deep impact because i fucking hate that movie for a reason <laughs> and i was like yep not watching it anymore 
you know, Amy Schumer or Rebel Wilson, whichever blonde-headed bitch it is in this one, I didn't <laughs> care for it. So <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's funny how Justin, you said, let's go back to the movie, how they said they wanted the audience to just sort of interpret how, you know, how it finishes. Doesn't that sort of go out the window when they do a sequel? Because it's yeah. obviously they've kind of set what they think people should have thought of the movie to end that and they kind of just done the sequel off that kind of it sounds a bit stupid if they're going to put propose that and then do a sequel yeah it's i don't and like this movie as well to me it doesn't reek of studio interference nor could i find anything to say that you know they had to cut sequences or they had to cut this or cut that because it was partially financed by Drew Barrymore's production company. That's also yeah. why she wanted to star in it. And it's like, couldn't they... Maybe maybe this movie deserves some studio interference to be like, hey, what the fuck is this about? Can you put in more scenes with the rabbit? Can you wrap up some storyline so that, A, there's not Herbert the pedophile from Family Guy running on the loose? And, yeah. yeah. But that's my own little rant around my many least favorite parts but uh coop did you have any least favorite parts of the movie uh you touched on yeah the the teenager characters being kind of like you know 40 year olds writing them and not understanding them um and yeah but lots of cringy dialogue throughout this movie that is just not realistic at all um yeah, that's interesting that you pointed out that, that Drew Barrymore, how uh, you say, the production company was involved in this because it did feel like that, um, like, I, like I said, massive Drew Barrymore fan, but it felt like her character was almost like a shoe-in. Um, so that kind of makes sense that there wasn't more engagement with her and ca- her character uh, with the other characters. Um, but I, I guess a, a lot of the characters sort of felt um, sort of... I guess it's just not really written very well. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Um, I don't think there's any sort of specific parts. Um, even though I, I just said um, <laughs> the fact that that uh, Mad World version is good by Gary Jules, um, that is also just like a stupid, cringy-ass scene towards the end of that movie um, to like try and trick the audience into thinking that it's this whole movie was this really well thought out, well written, well pondered um, philosophical ride when it really just didn't know what it was anyway. Um, So that bit at the end is very much a slap in the face, I feel, um, after sitting through it. So probably probably right at the end of the movie when you just realise you're not really going to get any real closure as to the pacing and why everything happened. It just kind of, yep. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't leave a very good taste in your mouth, I don't think. Mm. It's a very confusing <laughs> yeah, movie. I completely forgot as well just how fucking open-ended. Not only the ending, but uh, the what's the word? Like the whole concept itself is just very unclear. So I feel like I should have actually warned you both a bit more before recommending this movie, yeah. but. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's good to probably get it, get us out of our comfort zones of what movies because we all have like different tastes as examined even by like our choices today yeah. kind of a thing. But I think it's probably a good thing because I've never seen this movie and it's just 
it's interesting just sort of I guess even with someone like Jake Gyllenhaal or um, Seth Rogen when he's not really known them to sort of be in these movies in the background and sort of see where they are today that's also interesting it was as though this plan had been with him all his life pondered through the seasons now in his 15th year crystallized with the pain of puberty it'd be interesting to see what the trailer was for this movie to see if it actually is like commercially appealing or if the trailer's in the same realm of how the movie sort of paces. Uh, I don't think it went to a box office, did it? It uh, got released in theatres, but it, was, it wasn't a wide opening. It was quite small. Um, the only trailer... 7.5 million at box office on a $4.5 million budget. Mm. And considering... Limited release or something considering that was 21 years ago as well, where, you know, Inflation. most box offices were doing at least triple that. Yeah. So even for, like, the worst one, like, uh, you know, there was no major billions and billions of dollars in the box office, but I felt people were going to the cinema more and more, especially compared to yeah. the last five years, where, I don't know, I feel like people only really go to the cinema now to watch, like, the next Avengers 400 or Iron Man 7 or whatever? I think I think the issue is what I'm thinking about the movie. The only real uh, redeeming factor to go see this would probably be for Patrick Swayze because I don't think Drew Barrymore was famous at all then, nor Jake Gyllenhaal. Drew Barrymore was being famous since the 80s. Oh, well, she, no. <laughs> she was in She was in E.T. Firestarter yeah. and Flystarter. <laughs> and there was also Drew that Barrymore. movie we recapped and called Scream. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, when did and Charlie's Angels has already out by then, so. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, E.T. Okay, well, E.T. Yeah, but I'd, yeah, it probably would have just pushed more. I guess okay, we'll push more on Drew Barrymore and uh, Patrick Swayze. But yeah, I don't, like I said, Patrick Swayze wasn't utilized well enough. I don't think. Mm. It's like a uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as well. I don't know if there was. Uh, I can't remember the term for it, but it's like a. There's like the whole craze at the moment around Pete Davidson being like the ultimate. Uh, dream guy or whatever for lack of a better word and like before yeah. that it was what robert pattinson back when twilight was a huge phenomenon yeah so could jake gyllenhaal maybe have been marketed better to be like that 2001 version of like the deathly sick looking white guy that all the girls love but i don't know i don't think i've ever heard even you know by female friends in high school and whatnot it was never like oh jake gyllenhaal's so cute oh my god never heard anyone say it like that so i just had a mind blank because i've been i'm looking at people under the stairs when the movie came out and i'm looking at that thinking it was this movie going with 91 that's why i had a mind blank (laughs) (laughs) 10 years after if it's about the wise yes okay makes sense that's the drew barrymore was around yeah 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 yeah, yeah. okay all good If we talk about Donnie Darko as a concept and if it holds up today, I don't necessarily think it would hold up today in its current state. 
I think that it does need to be trimmed by at least 20 to 30 minutes just to keep it short and concise. But that it needs to be heavily rewritten just to make it a bit more um, clearer with its whole concept and also just to remove some of that really fucking shit dialogue between, well, every character in this movie. Um, I don't know why, and I have a feeling I'm right about this. I feel like Drew Barrymore's character just waffles on and on and on that... I remembered fast forwarding through a scene last time I watched this, but yeah. um, I don't know. Just it, it's an interesting concept. Do I think it's a good concept? Not really. <laughs> but uh, Coop, do you have any thoughts on the concept or it's uh, like whether it holds up today? Uh, well, just I was just actually reading um, the. Uh, basically the way this was written um, so Richard Kelly the person who wrote and directed this says uh, he recalled a news story that he had read as a child which he later called an urban legend about a large piece of ice falling from the wing of a plane and crashing through a boy's bedroom who was not there at the time and thus escaped death Kelly used this to develop an initial idea of a jet engine falling onto a house and no one could determine its origin and built the rest of the script from there so it sounds like pretty much this movie was kind of put together like pieces in a puzzle and that's probably why it's so oddly paced and themes thrown together i would i would say um so i I, probably not a very very good concept given the way that it was thrown together um but i mean everybody loves a mystery but Mm. i don't know there's I wasn't sitting there like, oh, what's going on? What's going on the whole time? Like, it wasn't one of those movies. Like, I wasn't like, whoa, what's... I can't wait to watch this story unravel. It really wasn't like that at all. Watching this movie, it didn't have that grab that it should in a mystery kind of movie. Um, so I'd, I'd say no, basically, um, <laughs> because it's it's meant to be it's meant to be like a, a mystery thriller type thing, but you're not invested. <laughs> Yeah, I did. Well, I mean, I wasn't anyway. I'm sure there's people out there that love this movie and found that it absolutely reeled them in, but it just didn't do that with me at all. And I feel like that's what it was meant to do. Mm. It's uh, interesting learning about Richard Kelly's uh, the whole basis of why he wrote it. It almost sounds like a year 12 standard English assessment task, you know. Why did write about why the boy didn't get killed by the jet engine? And then someone came up with this entire bullshit concept around time travel paradoxes. And the teachers probably reading it being like, this could be a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe when he was writing this, someone should have just been saying, hey, time to put the computer away. It's a shit script. Do something else. But as we've seen, especially with Southland Tales and The Box... He's just not a good writer, so... (laughs) (laughs) And also, he stole the box from a Twilight Zone episode, so... Yeah, I'll get into that when we get into that uh, movie, but... uh, Yeah, fully agree. Uh, BP, what are your thoughts? What's the... Sorry, what's the question? Is it the... If it still lives up? Yeah, if uh, you thought it was a good concept, and uh, if you think this movie holds up today well as i said as i said earlier like other times uh it's different i like appreciate a movie i guess that goes outside the box 
Um, <laughs> and does something different. Um, in the world of 2001, I'm not sure. There are many other movies out there. A sort of like psychological thrillers or whatever thriller that we're sort of doing this type of movie. So it's nice to see uh, a movie being made like that. As I said earlier, though, it's, uh, and as Coop said, it's not one that you're really like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? And I'm like actively watching the screen. Uh, I think the movie now looks a bit dated. And if anything, it's just got a bit of baggage around it. And as you said, Justin, if they could cut it down a bit, uh, maybe tighten the script up a bit, maybe fix it a little bit. Um, yeah, it could actually turn into something good. And I wouldn't be surprised if a remake's not actually in the works for this, as everything at the moment is. So I can imagine someone's probably going to do something on it soon and try and put it, I don't know, make it a bit more broader, maybe commercial, a bit more commercially appealing, but still appeal to a niche market of sorts. Um, all I think of a movie at the moment that's kind of like that in a way might be like Mother, if anyone has seen Mother. Yeah. I love that movie. <laughs> yeah. It's, I actually mind Mother, but Mother is a bit of a mindfuck as well. Mm. But I find it more appealing. I think it did a better job execution-wise yeah, than this yeah. movie did. But this kind of reminds me that they're kind of like this movie was the 2001 version of Mother and Mother's sort of a better, uh, more executed much, movie. Much better. <laughs> yeah. It's um interesting thinking about that too because I mentioned before about the remake of 1999's She's All That. Now it's called He's All That. I can easily see them swapping the gender around with this one and maybe it's like Connie Darko or like some mm-hmm. stupid twist to it. But like as long as it has better writing, I'm all down for it. But mm. for the moment, I think this movie has a lot to improve on. I think the cult following is more out of confusion, more out of just shared hysteria, trying to work out what it means. But I also get the feeling this is one of those movies that people claim they know the answers to, just like try and seem cooler than everyone. Like, ooh, it's undiscovered, it's not a mainstream movie, and it's like, it is fully a mainstream movie, but Mm. I don't think anyone knows. I don't, not even the writer knows what the hell the movie is about it's very mm. evident throughout all of it but yeah yeah anyways uh just wanted to say bp and coop thank you both for joining me again today thank you sure thank you listeners in our next set of episodes we discuss the people under the stairs the 1991 horror comedy film directed by Wes Craven, in which a young boy and two adult robbers become trapped in a house belonging to a very strange couple after breaking in to steal their collection of rare coins. In every neighborhood, there is one house that adults whisper about and children cross the street to avoid. Now, Wes Craven, creator of A Nightmare on Elm Street, takes you inside. Something's in there. We gotta get out of here, Leroy. All sorts of rumors about what goes on in that house. The police never took it serious. She's been feeding that thing between the walls again. Very, very tense about this. What goes on in this house is a sin. But what goes on under the stairs is a nightmare. Ah! 
Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs. If you liked our episode, give us a comment, like, share, subscribe, tip and all that jazz. We greatly appreciate your support. And if you hated our podcast... I think you're fucking gonna fit in much kid but if you're troubled and hurt what you got under your shirt we'll make them pay for the things that they did they said i'll take it